back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. Hmm, gender of your surgeon, does it matter? On first glance, we'd like to say, of course not. But is that completely accurate? While more women are entering medical school now than men, there is still a relative minority of female surgeons compared to male, particularly if we don't include GYN physicians in that mix. And this disparity holds true for plastic surgeons, though the number of female plastic surgeons does continue to rise. Current statistics show that one out of every six plastic surgeons is female. So certainly the topic of surgeon gender, and whether or not it may have a bearing on a patient's comfort level, or even procedural outcome, is on the mind of many potential plastic surgery patients. Recently, there have been some articles published regarding surgeon gender. Therefore, it's an interesting subject to delve into with this wonderful panel of female surgeons assembled today. Dr. Cheryl Young, Dr. Michelle D'Souza, and Dr. Elizabeth Killian, all at slightly different stages of their careers, share their experiences and their thoughts with us and help bring to light some of these subtle nuances which may be at work here. Let's go to that discussion right now. Well, welcome to our discussion today. I would like to introduce our panel of three wonderful plastic surgeons. First, we have Dr. Cheryl Young, who is a practice partner at Associated Plastic Surgery in Leewood, Kansas. And we also have Dr. Michelle D'Souza, who is Associate Professor of Plastic Surgery at University of Kansas Health System. And then rounding things out, we have Dr. Elizabeth Killian, who is Associate Surgeon at Monarch Plastic Surgeon. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you all. Well, you know, our topic is an interesting one today. And recently, there was a New York Times article that highlighted a study published in a prominent medical journal, which evaluated the degree of success of surgical outcomes in thousands of patients undergoing all types of surgery, and looked to see whether or not the patient's gender was the same as that of the surgeon. Did it make a difference? Overall, they found better outcomes when there was a gender match. But there were a lot of variables which could have been playing a part in that outcome, such as age of surgeon, experience level, how sick the patients were, et cetera, or even communication style, which can play an important part. So we're not really here to critique that particular article because, again, it studied all types of surgery, not just plastic surgery. But certainly it raises an interesting question that I think many plastic surgery patients have subconsciously wondered about, and that is, does the gender of your surgeon matter? 
And I must take a minute to say that we are primarily talking about male or female cisgender surgeons in our discussion today, though someday it may be interesting to evaluate non-binary, trans, or other gender categories and whether they might affect the overall conclusions. So today we've assembled this wonderful panel of talented physicians to discuss this and get their take on the subject of surgeon gender because I think people are curious about the female surgeon's point of view. But before we embark on that, let me first ask, how long have you been in practice and what initially sparked your interest in a career of plastic surgery? What was your path? Dr. Young? My path is a little odd, I would say, um, but I did go straight through all my education uh, I've been in practice 26 years now, 25 of those with associated plastic surgeons. Um, and I think what really sparked my interest in plastic surgery was following another female plastic surgeon when I was in medical school. It was a unique experience um, that I was able to do that in my hometown in Baton Rouge. And she's a very wonderful plastic surgeon and was able to kind of achieve that life versus work balance, which really inspired me to move forward with plastic surgery. Yeah, that's a tough one to balance sometimes. Dr. D'Souza, tell us. Hi. Uh, so I did general surgery first. I always knew since I was little that I was going to be a general surgeon. Ah. But, so I did the full training, and then after, towards the end, it just didn't seem like the right fit. I was more interested in what my results looked like than you know the whole practice of taking out the gallbladder. I wanted to see what my incision <laughs> looked like. Uh, so and I also knew that I wanted to do a further training. And I chose plastic surgery just because it was one of the more difficult specialties to get into. And I thought if I didn't get in, I would fall back on cardiothoracic surgery, which is... Mm. <laughs> I kind of find that, I still find it interesting, but yeah. Uh, so I got into plastic surgery and it really was, I just, I fell into it backwards, but it was the best fit because I just, it's so interesting to be able to take care of patients from head to toe, any age, any gender, uh, there's really no limit to what you can do. And I, know, I still get to operate in the chest if I want to, you know, for no, there you go. chest wall reconstruction. And so it was just not something that I planned from the beginning, but something I fell into and it just worked out for the best. I think that's great. How about you, Dr. Killian? So I have been in practice just over four years. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the big thing for me with plastic surgery was just the creativity that you really got to bring to um, the table where, you know, I loved the you know, conferences where someone would, you know, put up a picture of a defect or a problem or an issue mm -hmm. and um, different people would come up with different ideas that were all great, um, you know, things that would apply, but you just could really be creative with it. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like that was just such a unique thing that there's such breadth um, and depth to plastic surgery that really just um, was super exciting for me. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that about plastic surgery, and they, they kind of pigeonhole it into one little slot, which is just one portion of what we can do as plastic surgeons. So I think that's really interesting. Um, and then uh, could you tell us what the breakdown of your practice is? What categories of surgery do you do? Dr. D'Souza? So I work at the university. We're a level three trauma center. I take call. In fact, I'm on call this week. Oh, boy. And so because of that, I do still take care of whatever comes in the door. 
So I do keep my skills fresh that way. Mm -hmm. So a lot of reconstructive. A lot of reconstructive. And we do a lot of breast reconstruction as well since we're an NCI designated mm -hmm. cancer center. Mm -hmm. So a large portion of my practice is breast reconstruction, but the other half of it is cosmetic. I did a cosmetic fellowship at the Hunstead Center after my ah. plastic surgery training. And so that was an interest of mine as well as doing cosmetic or aesthetic surgery. So it, I have a nice blend of half cosmetic and half reconstructive. That's great. And Dr. Killian? I would say um, I'm fairly similar um, to Michelle's practice. I probably um, depends on the week, but probably 50% aesthetic, cosmetic surgery, um, face, breast, and body, and um, the uh, remainder is anything from skin cancers to breast reconstruction, mm -hmm. primarily with smattering of trauma mm -hmm. as well, because we take uh, trauma call as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Dr. Young? I would say I'm primarily cosmetic, maybe 80-20. Mm -hmm. One of the procedures that kind of flops back and forth is breast, you know, breast reductions. Mm -hmm. um, we do some revision reconstructions for breasts now, but not too many primaries because it was got very difficult for us to schedule it. Mm. And with all the massive weight loss, I mean, it's it's a lot of tummy tucks. Uh, mastopexies, liposuctions, right. body lifts, uh, yeah. a lot of facelifts now too. I think that's something that's really increased for me in the last 10 years for sure. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So we've got a, a broad variety here. It's kind of fun. Uh, so I'd like to ask you, what was the environment like as you were training in terms of being a female surgeon? Um, at the time, did you feel like you had to work harder than your male counterparts to get to where you are today? Dr. Young? Um, I think I had to work equally as hard. I'm not sure that I had to work really harder. I would say you have to be equal, not necessarily better. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dr. D'Souza? So coming from medical school when there's half women and half men, and then going to your residency and where you're often the only woman at the interviews or in the room uh, it was something that it was it's always noticeable I I didn't not until now that I look back that we're in a mindset when we're allowed to look back and reflect on our experiences and judge them whether if they were good or bad at the time you didn't judge you just came there showed up did your job went home come back the next day uh, but in retrospect I probably did have to work harder because it wasn't an automatic acceptance of my level, my skill level, my experience, because I was the one that stood out as different. So yeah. I think in retrospect, I, you know, I didn't notice it at the time because I mean, who has time to look into that when you're, you're on so call? Hard. Yeah, you're on call every third night. They told us you're either in the hospital or you're in the hospital. <laughs> as in, <laughs> you're a patient or you're working. Right. Uh, and I saw my chief resident, like, to have a baby, she was operating, and basically gave birth, and then came right back. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, that, that's a special gosh. skill. Yeah. yeah, and then part of me had—I mean, I waited a long time before I had kids because I don't know how people did it with that kind yeah. of training or that that amount of work. Dr. Killian, you are a more recent grad and in practice, so things may be different. What was your experience like? You, you know, it was. An interesting time because we were, the trainees 
it was fairly evenly split, 50% females, 50% males. Mm -hmm. But in terms of staff, you know, faculty that we were able to observe, it was probably 90% male, mm -hmm. um, 10% female. So it was very different in terms of, you know, finding that female mentor um, to help you through. But in terms of workload, I, it was likely fairly similar mm -hmm. um, to the males. Mm -hmm. um, and rigorous. Yeah. And how about in your environment as a fully practicing board certified female plastic surgeon? Is it different for you now? Uh, are things pretty, pretty much on the even playing field for male and female surgeons in terms of how you are viewed by your colleagues uh, and how well respected you are, uh, the opportunities you have, those kinds of things? Dr. Young, what do you think? Um, I think it's, it's definitely gotten more equal as the years have gone by. Mm -hmm. I, I think with my partners, it's always been really equal and we have a lot of autonomy with what we do. We're not kind of locked in to doing, you know, like I don't have to do hand if I don't want to do hand, which I don't do any hand. <laughs> but, um, as far as when you look at the overall general view of female plastic surgeons, I think for a long time, there were things that happened to women, uh, particularly in our national organizations where they were held back a little bit hmm. and not allowed to advance in the same way that men were. In terms of leadership? In, in terms of how you move toward presidency and toward yeah. leadership roles yeah. in the organization. Yeah. But I think that's actually changed in the last you know, 10 years or so, where it's much more equal. The leadership has really changed, and that's very helpful. Like mm -hmm. the Aesthetic Society has their first female president in, yes. you know, 2022. So cool. <laughs> and there have been yeah. women in plastic surgery way longer than that. Yeah. So. Dr. D'Souza, would you agree? Yeah, when you, when you asked that question, I thought in the same terms, when you would go to the national meetings, they were all men up there. Mm. and very few women, if any, that were speaking. But over the years, more lately, it's a much more balanced approach. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. one of those things where you can't be what you can't see. So mm -hmm. not even thinking that a woman would be the leader of the society until it happens. And yeah. kind of late. <laughs> <laughs> Better late than ever, I suppose. Yes. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, there was a different study uh, done a few years ago by Dr. Heather Furness um, that looked specifically at preferences of plastic surgery patients in a single practice for a male surgeon or a female surgeon, while the study matched the male and female surgical skills and experience. And it found that about 25% of patients chose their surgeon based on reputation alone, so regardless of gender, and then 25% chose based on surgeon gender. And then the other 50% had no preference at all. And they presumably just wanted to see whomever was you know, most available to perform their desired procedure. So I'd like to ask each of you, how often have you had a patient tell you that they chose you as their surgeon, partially because you're female? And can you think of an example of that? Dr. Killian? I'd say probably every week, just oh, about, wow. I have yeah. someone come in that says, you know, I prefer a female, mm -hmm. um, primarily for a, a breast or body procedure. Mm -hmm. 
and I think it's just maybe a comfort level in terms of um, being exposed and, you know, talking about those things. Mm -hmm. Some people care and, and some people, uh, you know, have no preference. But Dr. D'Souza, what do you think? I do get patients telling that tell me that they chose me because I'm a woman. They feel more comfortable as a woman. I, I think it probably happens just as frequently as Dr. Killian, except that I, I'm not aware of it. They don't, mm-hmm. you know, by the time they come to see me, they've already been established in the system. Mm-hmm. I did have one patient tell me that she looked at the, the our video online and she liked the way I, I spoke and the way I think, and that drew her to me. Yeah. And Dr. Young, what's been your experience? And can you think of a, maybe an example of a recent situation where this happened to you? I think it's frequently that I hear it, uh, primarily for breast surgeries or tummy tucks would be the mm-hmm. two primary uh, procedures that you hear it with. And I think it's just a comfort level. Yeah. I'm curious if any of you have had men versus women tell you that they preferred to see you because you're female. And I'll just say, I'll just throw in that I myself had numerous male patients come to me for procedures because they were more comfortable discussing their aesthetic concerns with a female rather than a male. You know, it was almost like there was a social discomfort with confessing to another man that they were concerned about their appearance. But have you, uh, any of you had that experience at all? I've had that experience a few times. The first time actually was a older than me, male physician, who was in my practice, Mm. he's deceased now for 20 plus years. And his perception was that to get through surgery as a female, you had to be smarter than your male counterparts at the time. So that was his perception. And that's why he chose me. Um, I do have, you know, a lot of women that have been divorce that have bad male experiences too that just feel better confiding mm-hmm. in a female and those would be the examples that I will know you know yeah Dr. D'Souza yeah I don't have an experience like that okay. and how about you Dr. Killian um, not specifically no well you know beyond the issue of comfort level for these patients who prefer you due to gender, do you think that any of them have believed your gender would make a difference in their outcome? Uh, And if so, what specific characteristics did they think you possessed to make this difference? And I say that because, you know, sometimes uh, I've had patients think that hand or finger size makes a difference. There's more dexterity, you know, in a female hand. Um, and sometimes female physicians may be more perceived as empathetic or compassionate. And then occasionally, you know, I've had patients tell me they feel that as a female, I can relate to their female aesthetic concerns a little bit better. Have any of you ever had any of those experiences? I've had patients tell me that they feel as a woman that I understand their aesthetic better than a male would. And I think that makes sense because mm-hmm. as women, we tend to dress for each other, not necessarily for the opposite gender, because I think we know what That's we want right. to look like. I think a lot of them like the communication skills of women, too. You know, we tend to talk more, and ah. I think they like that. Anything in your experience, Dr. Killian? I think for me, it's it's all, um, I think the all of the preference has to do with communication. Um, and comfort level. People just feel more comfortable talking about specifically breast and body with another female. And um, people in the past also have said, you know, since I had a baby, they felt like they could talk about 
you know, labiaplasties oh, as well. Yes. Um, just more yeah. um, able to just talk about that stuff. That you'd be more able to relate to their concerns. Uh, well, you know, we've been talking about surgical procedures, specific ones that some female patients seek out a female surgeon for, but what about some of the non-surgical treatments, you know, injectables, Botox fillers, things like that? Do you think there's any difference there or not really in terms of whether those patients care about the gender of their provider? I think they more care about the education if they're going to a physician to have an injection than the gender. I think they more care that you're you know, operating in the face and you understand that anatomy really well, as opposed mm -hmm. to whether you're male or female. A lot of the injections are done by our nurses. I do some, but a lot of the nurses are women that are doing the injection. When I'm out and about town, if anyone knows that I'm a plastic surgeon or in that field, I think I definitely get asked a lot of uh, skincare and injectable questions at that time. Interesting. Um, nurse anesthetists always want to discuss skincare and different treatments and all mm -hmm. those things. So I think mm -hmm. um, that um, aspect kind of comes up more out and about rather than with patients particularly. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Well, have any of you yourself noticed any nuanced differences between the way you approach treatment of patients versus that of perhaps some male colleagues? Um, and if so, in what way, whether it's different communication styles or, you know, what have you? Dr. Young, have you noticed any differences? You know, I have three partners and we all have very different personalities and we all have a little bit different clientele. And I think that's more based on our personalities than our gender. So, and they're all male. Yeah, they're all male. Dr. D'Souza? Yeah, I have this interesting phenomenon. I'd be curious to see if, uh, if I have other um, supporters in this. So I'll have several women that have come in for, that had existing breast implants. And they tell me, this was not the size I was expecting, but they put in a larger size than what I'd asked for. And I feel like that's always, more often than not, a male surgeon that puts in a larger implant than the patient asked for. Interesting. And so I'm curious if that's like a male-female thing or, or generational. Yeah. But they, I, don't, I don't think I ever hear people say, well, they put in too small, mm -hmm. <laughs> smaller than I asked yeah. for. Yeah. It's always the other way around. Interesting. And uh, Dr. Killian, do you think your approach is a little different to your patients than male colleagues, or do you think that doesn't really play out? The biggest thing that I um, have been focusing on right now is um, like scar placement, mm -hmm. um, trying, you know, with an abdominoplasty, getting the scar as low as possible so it doesn't show in clothing, uh, making sure the belly button's nice and high. Um, so that um, people can wear crop tops and all those yeah. things that people are wearing. And then just trying to uh, put the scars in places where I would want scars yeah. is, is kind of how yeah. I approach those things. So you kind of identify with what the patient's desires would probably be, uh, particularly if that's a female patient. Yes. Do you think, it, you know, if there are any subtle differences that we've been talking about, do you think that that is just like just what you were saying, Dr. Killian, do you think that's just inherently a gender quality? You know, it's it's not subtly based on public expectations or something like that. It's just basically who you are that you would identify with a 
a similar gender patient and and try to adapt to what you presume they might want? Well, I think I think first and foremost, it's an involved discussion with a patient about what their specific expectations are and kind of defining those ahead of time. But then within what the patient wants, trying to still, you know, consider things, you know, I can put my liposuction incision anywhere, where would I Mm -hmm. want it? Um, You know, Mm -hmm. where would I think it'd be most hidden, Mm -hmm. you know, in clothing Mm -hmm. and things like that. And Dr. Young or Dr. D'Souza, anything to add to that? Maybe we pay more attention to kind of preferences and breast size. And, you know, you have some experience with what your breast did after you were pregnant. And what it's like to live with them. <laughs> what it's like to live with them. Yeah. And even taking it one step further, you know, not just breast volume, but also areola size. Mm -hmm. Someone's having a lift or something like that. You know, that's something that we really discuss. One time I had a patient who really liked the shape, you know, the oval shape of her areolas. And that was a big discussion. Interesting. Um, We've even created aerial or sizers of different diameters of things that we can offer to try to, you know, do our best to meet Um, expectations Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. patients and get them, you know, as close to what they uh, would like as possible. That's great. Well, uh, you know, you are all so accomplished. I would love it if each of you could tell the listeners about a particular aspect of your practice you've cultivated or a technique that you feel is unique or special to you, or maybe some approach that you're just particularly fond of. Uh, It could be something little, it could be something, you know, big. Dr. Young? I think the thing that I've really cultivated is the local neck lift, whether you want to call it a ponytail lift. It's really a patient-driven facelift under a local anesthetic. And patients really like the idea of local because they don't like the idea of general anesthesia. Mm -hmm. And to try to get them to a general anesthetic result with a local is something that, you know, that takes some time to cultivate. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we've done really well with my practice doing. Yeah, that's great. Dr. D'Souza? Something that has developed in my practice over the years is in breast reconstruction when it's a unilateral mastectomy or lumpectomy. Meaning one-sided. Yeah, to do both sides at the same time at the very beginning. Because definitely when I trained, it was a very staged step-by-step approach where you left the contralateral breast or the opposite side alone till you till the end when you achieve your final result but after years in practice where I know what my results look like and being able to put implants above the muscle with a very predictable result I can do both sides at the same time and it's not always just one and done but a lot a large majority of the reconstruction is done and the opposite side is done in one surgery and that saves an amount of time when they're walking around with an asymmetry where one side is hanging lower than the other. Mm-hmm. Feeling kind of lopsided. Right. Yeah. So basically, when you're doing breast reconstruction and it's just one side, you can reconstruct that breast. And then it used to be that later down the road, you would do something to the other breast to then match it to the size and appearance of the reconstructed breast. But now you're doing that whole process at one time so the patient doesn't have to feel strange when they're, you know, looking at themselves in the mirror or uh, feel lopsided in their clothing. Uh, So I think that's wonderful. And I'm sure your patients love that. And how about you, Dr. Killian? I think um, probably 
uh, again, just since I, I have a two-year-old and I'm currently pregnant again, <laughs> there you go. Um, the mommy makeovers, especially ah, close to home yes. for me, um, addressing, you know, just those changes after pregnancy, be it um, breast, abdomen, or with a labiaplasty, um, all of those things. I think um, once you go through it, um, all the things that your body goes through, you kind of understand, you know, you want to help people feel as good as they can yeah. about themselves. Um, after childbirth. Yeah, and it's kind of physical and mental, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been great information, you guys. And, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, I think we probably can all agree that in the end, it really comes down to a patient's comfort level and good communication with their surgeon. And that could mean male to male, female to female, or female to male and vice versa. And it's probably what's going to have the most impact on patients' perceived experiences. Would you all agree to that? And what are your final thoughts about surgeon gender you'd like to share with the listeners? Dr. Killian? Dr. Newhan, I think you really hit it on the head just by saying it's comfort level. I think um, if you have a surgeon that you feel that you can talk to both um, about expectations, that you feel that you have a relative trust within them to first understand what you want um, and help you to achieve that and um, guide you throughout the process, which is not always straightforward. You know, sometimes there are some bumps in the recovery process and just someone that, you know, um, can guide you through that, I think is the most important thing. Absolutely. Dr. D'Souza? So I've been in practice 13 years and I think it's impressive now that patients have choices in their surgeon. And if you compare my training to the way that Dr. Killian trained, where they were half and half female and male, it's such a nice shift in the culture that there are more women now in plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. And the patients have options to be able to choose, do I want to go to a woman or do I want to go to a man? Yeah. And Dr. Young, what are your thoughts? I agree with Dr. Killian. I think a lot of it is comfort level with your surgeon. And that, you know, that's gender, that's communication, that's what ideas do you have, how easy is it for them to express themselves, good or bad. I mean, I tell Mm -hmm. my patients frequently, I'm not your friend, I'm your doctor, so if there's something you don't like, let me know, and we'll see what we can do to make it better for you. Which, Mm -hmm. you know, that's really a hard conversation to have with a patient, especially if you, you know, or if they're worried about a little scar or you know, something particular that they want. I want my scar lower or higher. You know, those are all very important to patients and you have to be willing to listen to that too. Mm -hmm. I have uh, one other thought and that is, you know, I think sometimes patients are very surprised um, by the fact that I'm a young female. Ah. That um, is an opportunity for me to, you know, show the patient that, you know, I'm not a scary person. I'm someone that you can talk to candidly. Uh, I'm not going to force you to do anything, just here to educate you. And I think oftentimes that's been a, a good experience for people. And you confirm that you are a reliable person and very capable too. And, uh, you know, because I do think there can be some misjudgments when patients see a young physician, a young surgeon, female or male even. Uh, So that's great. And that's a great way to leave things. I want to thank each and every one of you, Dr. Cheryl Young, Dr. Michelle D'Souza, Dr. Elizabeth Killian. Thank you for sharing your time and your experiences and your insight with us.
Thanks, Regina. Thank you, Dr. Nuhan. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.